Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. You may have noticed one of our elders is missing today. Our brother Sean is not with us today. And uh, for those of you who attend here regularly, you probably noticed that and uh, wondered about it. I got a text this morning that he had been rushed to the hospital uh, in some kind of pain. And I just this second received another text that he has a massive kidney stone. So uh, let's pray for Sean. Those things are terrible. And uh, let's hold him up in prayer when you think about him today. Luke chapter 24 and verse number 1. I'm going to speak to you this morning just for a moment about the empty tomb. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there is one in front of you in the seat, and we encourage you to follow along. Uh, I like to mention from time to time, you know, it doesn't matter what uh, anybody says from right here. What matters is what's in this book. And if you're not looking at this book, when I'm reading from it, how do you know? I'm not just, you know, reading out of Harry Potter or something up here. It's very important that you keep me honest and make sure that this is the Word of God. And I assure you it is. Luke chapter 24, begin reading in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Father God, I pray that you'll give wisdom and guidance as we look at your word. Father, this is your word. This was not just a book that was written by men. This is a book that was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that uh, we might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so, Father, as we open it now and spend just a few moments looking at this most wonderful of stories, would you speak to our hearts? Would you teach us? Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would help me to say only what I ought to and say nothing I ought not. And I pray today, Lord, that you would give me uh, a word that would uh, be just uh, an eternal help to these your people. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Four times I have had the privilege of standing there at the site of the empty tomb. There are actually two times. Connie also has had the privilege of standing there. There are actually two sites in Jerusalem that are usually thought to be uh, the site. Uh, There's some disagreement about which is which, but uh, we've had the privilege of visiting both of those. One of those sites is contained in and enshrined in what is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem is one of the oldest and most venerated churches in the world. Within its walls, 
uh, there is this smaller structure. You walk inside this huge church and huge room inside of it, and then there's this smaller structure, which itself is probably as big as this building, uh, within that, and it is called the Eticule. And the Eticule covers what is believed to be the original tomb of Jesus Christ. And like many such shrines that you see there and in other places around the world, it completely covers and and hides the site, and so you don't see anything of the original site there. What you see is a bunch of marble and gold and candles and things like that. And so it's difficult to get any idea or feel what the place was really like. The other site, which some believe is the possible location of the site or of the tomb, is what's called the Garden Tomb. It's located just outside the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, and it is literally a tomb hewn out of rock. It contains within it two burial slabs where bodies would have been placed. It gives the appearance of of having been constructed by someone of means. It looks like a rich man's tomb, uh, but it also gives the appearance of having been hastily modified as if it was used for someone for whom it was not originally intended. It's a very interesting little detail. There is a long trough that runs along the outside of that tomb where a stone would have rolled into place across the door. And the tomb sits in this beautifully idyllic garden. Uh, it's, just, it's just a wonderful place. And that's you know, all these things are what Scripture says it would have been. And then nearby, just the stone, stone throw, literally just a few steps away, is a hill that bears an ominous resemblance to a skull. Anyone looking at it could look at that and say, that does look like a skull. Now, I have stood inside the garden tomb. You can actually go inside of it. You can touch every part of it. And you know what I noticed? It's empty. No body lies there. I recall on one of my trips seeing a plaque, which I've not seen since, but I recall seeing a plaque hanging nearby with some information on it about some different things they had done, tests they had run on that, the grounds in the area and the tomb and things like that. And one of the things I remember it saying was that there was a test that had been done to determine if a body had ever decayed in that tomb. And to the best of their ability, they said no. No body had ever decayed there. Just a few short months ago, a, a huge renovation project was completed on the other site, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Eticule within, which covers and houses, had fallen into such a disrepair. Every time I've been there, it's been completely surrounded by a steel cage holding it up because it was so rotten and so, you know, antiquated that it was it would have fallen down if they didn't have that in place. But they decided finally to restore it. And so for the first time in hundreds of years, they took that steel down and they repaired that. And in that process, they opened. They removed a marble slab that covered the tomb underneath. They didn't know what they would find under there. What they found under there was, first of all, some fill material, but then they removed that, and then they found another ancient slab that had a cross carved into it. And then they removed that and found underneath of that the actual limestone slab where, if that was the tomb, the body of our Lord would have lain. They're all interesting finds, but the thing that's most interesting is what they did not find. There was no body there. No body. Now, both of these sites have characteristics that are interesting, and they're both, they both have some sites that are consistent with Scripture and Christian tradition. Either could be the actual site 
where our Lord Jesus Christ's body was laying? Both have problems, too. I mean, they both have some things that people argue about. So they either either could be authentic or neither could be authentic. We do not know. We simply don't know that. Uh, but we do know this as an absolute fact. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was crucified on a Friday and was laid in a grave and rose again on a Sunday. And we do know that it was right there somewhere in that area. We can, we can contrast and compare archaeological sites all day long, but the bottom line is the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherever it was and whatever it looked like, was empty on Easter Sunday morning. And that is what we venerate on this day. That is why we shout, it is risen. That is why we rejoice and sing the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. That empty tomb is the central truth of Christianity. Nothing else is important. And it's the main thought in the passage we just read. If you look at verse number 3 again, then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You might want to underline that verse in your Bible. That's the most important part of that entire passage. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Paul would later go on to explain in the, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians that everything else about our faith revolves around that truth. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. The tomb was empty. And that's what makes Christianity and our faith real. Had that tomb not been empty, Paul said everything about our faith would be empty. Everything about our preaching would be empty. Everything else would be empty if the tomb was not empty. The empty tomb is the one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Only Jesus said he would defeat death and then backed it up with an empty tomb. Bodies of the other founders of other religions are easily found. I did a little research about some of them and found that uh, everyone that I could think of, that I could look up, uh, their corpse remains, unlike our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, the Buddha. Some of you here may be interested in Buddhism. The Buddha's body was cremated and the relics of his cremation were placed in various jars called stupas, some of which are believed to have survived to the present. Would you like to see the Buddha's tooth? There is a place where you can go and see the Buddha's tooth. But there wasn't even a tooth in the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the cult known as Christian Science, is buried at Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Confucius. The grave of Confucius, who's the founder of Confucianism, is in his hometown of Kufu, Shandong Province, China. It's located in a large cemetery where more than 100,000 of his descendants are also buried. How can anybody have 100,000 descendants? But he does, and there lays his body. Muhammad is buried in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia. The tomb of Muhammad lies within the confines of what used to be his wife Aisha's and his house. It cannot be seen as the area is cordoned off by a gold mesh and black curtains, but it is marked by an austere green dome above it, built by the Ottoman Turks, which was once white in color. And so there lays his body. Abraham, 
Abraham is generally considered the founder of Judaism. We know about his burial. It's talked about in Genesis 25, verse 7. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim. The cave of the patriarchs. Do you remember the cave of the patriarchs? You were there. The cave of the patriarchs is located in the ancient city of Hebron. And Jewish, Christian, Islamic tradition all says that that is where Abraham is buried, along with Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. And I've seen that one. We've been to that grave. And there lays the body. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is buried at the Smith Family Cemetery in Nauvoo, Illinois, in the United States. All of their graves remain, and we could go on and on and on. L. Ron Hubbard, any of these crazies that founded other religions, we could go on and on. Their graves remain, along with the remains of their body. Only Jesus could defeat death. He said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Only Jesus could make the claim. And then only Jesus did defeat death, his resurrection. It was all the apostles could talk about. After they had seen it, they could talk about nothing else. Acts chapter 2, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Acts chapter 2, verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Acts 4, 33, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 10, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. They couldn't talk about anything else. The empty tomb is the one thing that differentiates Christianity from every other belief. They, they went and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang it this morning. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love and heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon, and an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. It's the central truth, the distinguishing truth of Christianity. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But, having said all that, and after all we've examined this morning, there is a glaring statement in the accounts which we must address. Did you notice it? Some of you no doubt notice it, as I keep using the word empty over and over and over, and you're looking at your scriptures and you're saying, wait a minute, the empty tomb wasn't really empty, was it? There was something left behind, which was glaringly obvious both to Peter and John when they ran to the tomb and looked inside. Did you notice it? Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw something. He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Luke chapter 24, verse 12. Now, that's an interesting detail, don't you think? An interesting detail that the Holy Spirit chose to leave in this, in this story. And we know that every single detail in the Bible is, is important. It's, it's significant. So we need to examine this one just a little bit. What's up with the linen cloths? And why were they laying there? in what was otherwise an empty tomb. Now, Luke just mentioned it there in verse number 12. He gave very little detail to it, but if we were to turn to the Gospel of John and 
You don't have to do that. I'll just read it to you. But John gives us more detail in his account of this. In John chapter 20 and verse number 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and that's John's way of referring to himself, so Peter and John. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, John, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And John outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then John, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Now, in order for us to get our minds around just what it was that Peter and John saw, we need a little background. We need to understand a little bit about the Jewish burial customs, because we know what they were. Jewish burial customs at that time involved covering the body with spices, a hundred pounds in this case, as we see from the Scripture. So it was a gooey mixture of spices that they slathered all over the body. And then they wrapped linen cloths around the body up to the chest and neck. And then they wrapped a separate cloth around the head and the face. That's what had happened here, and we know that's what had happened here. Immediately after Jesus' body was removed from the cross, in, in chapter 19 of, of John, John 19, verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus bounded in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. John also gave a similar description of another person. He described how Lazarus was buried in John chapter 11. And we see the same thing. He who had died, Lazarus, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. So Peter and John ran to the tomb after the women had come and told them about it being empty. John looked inside and saw something. What did he see? He saw linen cloths lying. Peter pushed past John and ran into the tomb, as we would expect Peter to do. And he saw something. What did he see? He saw linen cloths lying. And he saw what the Bible describes here as a handkerchief, a separate cloth lying folded then John, having followed Peter into the tomb, saw something. What did he see? It was something that made him believe. Something that was so in- amazing to him that he immediately believed, is what the Scripture says. And what he saw was linen cloths lying. The linen strips of cloth were lying where they had been, having collapsed to the slab when his body vanished from between the strips, and the piece that had been about his head was lying separately. Most things that I was able to read about this said that the, 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 the custom was to wrap that about the face and head like a turban. And so the picture is, uh, we, we read things about the thing being folded, but uh, what we think it really means is that it just fell down upon itself just as the rest of the strips did. So it was laying there just like it was folded around his face before, folded like a turban would have collapsed. And we can debate about that. We can debate about uh, what, what the scene looked like. But here's one thing. Whatever that looked like, Whatever they saw when they walked in there, it convinced John. And John says he believed just by seeing that little pile of cloth. 
I like how one man described this. Let me read how he described this scene. He said, outrunning Peter, John arrived at the tomb first, stooped to look through the narrow opening and saw the grave clothes. Then Peter arrived, out of breath and in a hurry. He brushed John aside and plunged into the tomb. When John saw the grave clothes, he saw them only in a cursory manner and from outside the tomb. The Greek uses the most common term for seeing there. It's the word blepo. It suggests nothing more than sight. But when Peter arrived, he scrutinized the grave clothes carefully. The Scripture uses a very special word there, theoreo, for, for what Peter did. We get our words theory, theorize from that word. And it tells us also what Peter saw. The Bible says that Peter went into the tomb. He saw the strips of lying, linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen in John chapter 20. Then at this point, John entered, saw what Peter had seen. And this time the word is orao, another word, which means to see with understanding. And he believed in Jesus' resurrection. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, what did John see? He said, the grave clothes lying on the stone shelf without any evidence of violence or crime. But the grave clothes were empty. They lay there like an empty cocoon, still retaining the shape of Jesus' body. Now, we have to admit this. Regardless of where we are in our understanding of things, there are only two possibilities that explain the fact that they went in and did not find the body of the Lord. There are only two. There can be no others. One explanation is that somebody or something took the body. That's one obvious one. The only other one is that the body got up by itself and walked out. There are no other explanations. There are no other alternatives. And those grave clothes lying there narrow it down even further. There's only one explanation that explains their presence. Nobody's stealing the body would have taken the time to unwrap the grave clothes and then meticulously wrap them back up in the same shape that they were in before, especially when we consider that they were gooed up with a 100 pounds of spices. It's just not possible to conceive. Those cloths give silent testimony to the fact that Jesus rose, laid them aside as they were never to be needed again, and stepped out of the tomb. The empty grave and the empty grave clothes are impossible to explain away. They shout the truth. Jesus, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross the Friday before, rose from the dead on Sunday morning. He rose never to die again. He is alive forevermore. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My friend, this, this truth, this truth concerning the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is the most important thing you will ever hear. Not because I'm standing before you saying it. Because it is the most important truth the universe has ever heard. Think about what it means. It means we need not fear anything ever again. We hear all this horrible news. We need not fear ISIS. We need not fear Crazy Kim in North Korea. We need not fear sickness or cancer or diabetes or pain. We need not fear uncertainties in our careers or instabilities in our relationships. We need not fear anything. We need not fear death itself because Jesus Christ has defeated it. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living because he lives. But there is a catch, isn't there? 
You need to believe it. The Scripture is clear that the benefits of all this apply only to some and not to all. Only to those who believe. John chapter 1, verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so I, I encourage you this morning, look into that empty tomb, my friend. Do you see those grave clothes lying there? What do they say to you? Do you believe? There is this last detail to consider. We've, we've touched on it a little bit. Wearsby said that when John wrote the account, he used three different Greek words for seeing. In John chapter 20 and verse 5, the, the word simply means to glance in, to look. In verse 6, the word means to look carefully, to observe, to theorize. The, verse number 8, the word means to perceive with intelligent comprehension. I always find Easter to be an interesting day to stand and preach. Some of you are regular tenders. Most of you are probably regular attenders, and have heard this hundreds of times. Some of you are less faithful. You come out on special days. Some of you are uh, Easter-only people. Some of you may be hearing this for the very first time. But whichever describes you, we all come to faith exactly the same way. And it's the way that was described right here. We first of all have to examine the truth. We have to look at it, as John did. We have to see it. I have proclaimed it to you. Will you look at it? Will you see it? And then we have to think it through. Peter looked carefully, observed, theorized what the implications were of those grave clothes. Can't you see him there just mulling it over in his mind? What in the world am I looking at here? He had to think it through. So do you see him lying there? Will you think it through? What are the implications to you? And then finally, we have to understand and we have to believe as John did. I thank God you're here today, whether you're here every single Sunday or whether you're here one time a year, whether this is the first and last time we'll ever see you here. I thank the Lord you're here today. And I pray that each and every one of you will look into that tomb. And I pray that each and every one of you will think hard about what it means and believe it. And some will. Some will, and the Bible says they will be saved and live forever. Others will walk away, maybe thinking about it a little bit, but taking no action. And I want to share just one last verse of Scripture, and with this I close. It's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You see, you don't have to overtly reject Jesus in order to lose out on eternal life. You just have to neglect the truth. You just have to walk away without doing a thing about it. That's all it takes. So peer into that empty tomb. Look carefully at the empty grave clothes and believe Jesus is alive.